All right, this episode of The Damn Podcast is brought to you by Scott Santana at Santana Insurance Agency in Kaiser, Oregon. Uh, For all information for Scott Santana Insurance, you go to 5605 Inland Shores Way, North Suite 102, Kaiser, Oregon, 97303, 503-393-6771. Again, that's 503-393-6771. Scott Santana Insurance Agency. We thank him once again for all the support that he's given to the damn podcast. All right, it's time to get it going. This is the damn podcast. We're back once again. Brandon Sprague, 1080 The Fan, Angie Machado, BeaverBlitz.com. Uh, back once again after Oregon State loses to Stanford 42 to 24 and they head into the bye week. How you doing, Angie? I'm good. I, I, I was way off of my prediction, although I said a loss. I, I thought it would be closer than it was. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think I was a little off too, but ultimately, I mean, I think I in fact I said if without Kevin Hogan, I think Oregon State can win. Uh, I don't know about that. Stanford looks to be in kind of peak top Stanford form of running it down your throat and doing whatever they want and controlling the clock. Oh, completely, and and uh, you know, I think most Beaver fans I've talked to actually walked away from the game not with that awful we lost again kind of mentality, but a lot to look forward to. I, this was probably the last really super physical team they'll play, maybe aside from Utah. And uh, I, th- I think we saw enough positives to walk away and, and see hope. You know what's funny about that, of like finding hope despite not getting a win, is some fans will make fun of you for that if, if your team does that. But what did you walk away? What were you most impress, uh, impressed with with Oregon State following their loss to Stanford? I was impressed with a couple things, actually. I, the biggest thing, though, I took away was just the fight. They didn't give up. And we've seen that the past couple years on some of those games where things kind of started spiraling out of control. We saw the team give up, and we didn't see that on Friday night against Stanford. And then the offense. You know, the offensive line, I think, is playing a lot better. And and the play of Seth Collins, and I know this is going to be a topic we'll talk about here as it's been a huge discussion point in, in the Lodge at Beaver Blitz, but – Yes, he still has a lot to learn, and I'm not ready to anoint him the second coming of Marcus Mariota. But I saw some things from him that I'm seeing growth every week, and that's all that can be expected, really, from a true freshman quarterback. You know, I I think I agree with you in the sense of I walk away from that game, and and granted, I wasn't there, but watching that game, uh, I I was really impressed with their ability to hang. And what I mean by that is going in, I wasn't sure, you know, what kind of Stanford team would you see? Uh, we've seen Stanford have emotional letdowns after getting a big win before. It's not out of their nature. You remember the year they beat Oregon and they lost to USC with Ed Orgeron as the coach of the Trojans. We've seen it before. But to come out and like Stanford gave you a typical Stanford, we're going to kick your ass type game, to watch the fight of this team both offensively and defensively, uh, I was pretty encouraged. I was a little disappointed. I mean, if you had to pick like non-MVPs of the game – I thought the safety positions in Cyril Nolan Lewis and Justin Strong, Nolan Lewis a little more than Strong, but I just I thought they had their worst game of their careers. Yeah, and that was another big topic in, in the lodge as well. Just, But, you know, on the flip side of that, now I know Coach Sataki has said that he needs guys that are going to be physical out there and, and not afraid to sacrifice their body, but at the same time, they had to be starting to get tired, and that can't be an excuse. You have to, you know, be ready to, to play the whole game, and then recruiting-wise, you need to go out and get more guys to, to add depth there. Mm-hmm. Well, and Stanford came in, too, and, and people wondered, like, are they going to be able to run on this Oregon State team? And 
that might have been funny to some people, but Oregon State's defense was playing pretty well up until that point of the season. But it was kind of what we saw against Michigan, where Oregon State, they got to a point where the offense just kind of lagged and the defense goes back out there. And Stanford gives Stanford a lot of credit, too, because, again, they looked like Stanford once again, the Stanford team we've recognized, we've seen for the last, I don't know, five, six seasons at this point where it's consistent run game, ground and pound. Uh, Ed McCaffrey's kid goes for 200-plus. Barry Sanders Jr. busts a 90, uh, what was it? He had 97 yards on the ground in that 60-yard run. I mean, Stanford did what Stanford usually does, but watching Oregon State kind of hang in there, was there... Did you get kind of a different feel? And I, I got laughed at, but I've also had people agree with me on this point. Is there a different feel with watching that team, even though they lost, opposed to maybe watching a Riley type coach team the last two years when they lost? Definitely. Like I said earlier, you know, it was it was that give up factor. I mean, how many times I mean Washington State comes to town or Washington Washington up on the road or Washington at home, where we saw the team frankly just flat out give up. They're laughing on the sidelines. They're not paying attention. They really didn't look like they wanted to be there. Whereas this team is, is strapping on their helmets in the late fourth quarter, looking to go out and, and continue playing. And it brought, you know, talking about recruiting and, and looking at these teams, you brought up McCaffrey. And, I mean, he was a, a, a four-star, 5.9-ranked recruit. I mean, you look top to bottom. It was a little project. Being a bye week, I could dig into numbers a little bit. And I'm not really a number geek, but I know a ton of people are. I went through the starting lineups, the starting rosters for Stanford and Oregon State and looked at simply rivals rankings. So, um, Brandon, I don't know if you're super familiar with that. You know, there's the star rankings. So mm-hmm. there's two, three, four, and five star. But within those, rivals actually grades them out, whether they're a, a 5.42 star, a 5.24 star, or two star, or up to a 6.15 star. So I went through and looked at the rivals rankings. It was very eye-opening, especially Stanford's offense versus Oregon State's defense. Mm -hmm. Stanford's offense rated out to an average of a 5.75, which is a very high three-star, right on the verge of being Mm four-star, all the way across the board. Oregon State's defense rated out to a 5.4, which is a two-star. Yeah, there's a clear difference there. There's a clear difference, and people can say stars don't matter, but you're just starting with a higher-caliber athlete. Yeah, it's yeah, and look, the, I've always kind of been one of those people too. Where, and we may have to talk about this during recruiting season. Of stars don't matter to me, but also getting them with the right coaches absolutely do. And, and I mean, that was a big thing. You know, you look at what Coach Riley could do with developing talent. Yes, but you might be sitting on a guy for three or four years before that that kid developed, or it might have been a total bust, and the kids nowhere to be found. Mm-hmm. Whereas you take Riley or the staff with a higher starting point, what they can do. And that's that's the difference. Yeah, watching what they get. And I think that's going to be the interesting part of watching Riley at Nebraska because he's going to get that higher-ranked kid coming in. How do they develop? I mean, going from two to, to a four and then you develop four into what? I think that's going to be the biggest question mark. Um, general thoughts, I guess, from Oregon State's defensive approach or just the way they tackled against Stanford? Because there were, it seemed like there were a ton of missed tackles, a bunch of arm tackles. Yeah, yeah. I thought the first half they actually looked okay. I, I liked the aggressiveness we saw. But, yeah, toward this, that second half of the game, it was a lot of whiffs. Stanford, give them, too, some credit. I mean, I, I think it was that right who basically there were two touchdowns. I don't know if he scored both of them, where basically he, like, just bounced off of the pile and then just 
did a spin move and walked into the end zone. Um, but too many arm tackles, too many of, you know, the, the diving plays and missing. But I think Beaver fan has faith that the staff can get that corrected. Mm-hmm. What, what, what leaves you optimistic about it? Because I was looking at rush defense in the conference thus far, and they're near the bottom just in that category. They're doing really well in pass defense, total defense. I think they're top three or four, but rush defense really seems to kill this team. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think part of that is the scheme where they're you know lined up a lot in a, in a 3-4, and that's they're not stop, stopping them in the first line of defense. So it's putting a lot of pressure on the safeties and, and the linebackers, which linebackers was one of the big questions going into the season. And you and I have talked, that's been one of the bright spots, to be quite honest. Coach Sataki also said earlier this week that, you know, guys get tired and they start resorting back to maybe old habits or old mm-hmm. old ways of doing things that don't fit this way, the way the staff wants them to play. So it's a, a reprogramming effort and uh, just recruiting guys that have the strength. And that was, I think we've all heard Coach Anderson several times during the offseason talk about a strength issue and how he needs the guys to be stronger and and. Frankly, they're just going to have to do that in the weight room and on the recruiting trail. Yeah, physicality seems to be the word for them this season against you know certain opponents like a Stanford or even a Michigan. Uh, looking at that defense too, Kalani Sitaki, you know what I like about this coaching staff that's a little different than what Oregon, fan, Oregon State fan has seen lately is I like kind of the blunt honesty that you get. And you can, you know, coaches can say, oh, we didn't play well. Like these guys come out there and they not only hold themselves accountable, but they also kind of give you an honest opinion. And I thought he was very honest this week at practice. Uh, he said it showed him a lot of guys. It kind of it, it revealed some guys on tape and what tendencies are and how inconsistent they are. Like I'm not used to hearing stuff like that. It's refreshing to hear it. It is refreshing. And then, you know, having Coach Anderson come in at a post-game press conference, not only say this is on me and the coaches because – at some level, we're not getting through at what we want done to make it happen. And then also, listening, it, you get you get coach speak like you do from everyone, but it's refreshing to hear a coach come in and say, I didn't like the way this looked, and this is how we correct it. Look, right off, you know, yeah. right, not even watching film, to, to be able to say, this is what we need to work on, or this mm-hmm. is what we need to, to take care of. It, it is refreshing if I'm a Beaver fan. Thinking about the other aspect, too, of that game of Seth Collins, who had himself a hell of a night uh, up until a point. They they unloaded the playbook. They kind of let him loose, and he played well until, again, Stanford kind of regained the Stanfordness we've seen, and it wasn't so much a back and forth. It was the more Stanfordness. Is that gonna, we should coin that, Stanfordness. <laughs> well, you know what I mean. That just I that, know what you mean. That consistent punch you in the mouth, and we're not going to back down. You're not going to get any more hits in type uh, football what did you make of Seth Collins? A lot of people and expectations of him. And look, you're you're four games in, you're two and two, and people want to have this opinion of his future and where he's going to go. How did you feel about Seth Collins' game against Stanford? This has been this huge. I mean, I think we're on a four pages of thread on uh, Beaver Blitz on this t- very topic. And it's, it's really an interesting dynamic. You have some people that think Seth Collins is doing really well. You have others that don't think he's been that great at all. I'm in the camp that you know, he, this is a true freshman in a brand new system. I've been impressed. You know, there there are times that yes, he makes the wrong read, or I wish he would, you know, sell his fakes a little better. But all in all, he is learning. He's growing each game. We see 
improvement. And there's that electric quality that every once in a while he's going to make a, a big wow play that uh, really gets people excited. Now, you know, does does he regain that? You know, is he able to beat Daryl Garrettson? Because, you know, some people close to the program think Daryl Garrettson is the, the best quarterback that they have right now that he's having to sit out because of a transfer. But, you know, that's that's the question for, you know, six months from now. But, you know, I, as far as I'm concerned, seeing the – progression and the growth that we've seen from Collins over four games is is positive for for Oregon State. You know, I, I I have a hard time and granted it's four games, but you give the the reins to the program to a true freshman and you just sit back and you you go with it. You know, hope he doesn't get injured and he learns from his mistakes. He makes mistakes that he can watch and he, he makes the positive play. I kind of have a little bit of of a hard time, and I guess coaches at the end of the day, they're going to have to make the decision that's best for winning football games. I kind of have a hard time grasping the idea that Seth Collins plays this entire season and then suddenly is taken out for for Garrettson. I I agree. I I, agree. That's a a tough move if you're a coach. Yeah, because something something about that, and I know Garrettson transferred here. He wants the opportunity to play in the conference. It's a bigger stage than Utah State. I get all that, but there's something about doing that that I I don't know if I like that move. Like, if I'm just looking at it from a football fan perspective, I don't know if I like that you gave this true freshman all these reps just for what? So you could essentially bring in a a kid, a transfer kid that has a year or two of eligibility. I think he has one year of eligibility, if I'm not mistaken. And you can, what, maybe win eight games with him, flirt with nine games. And look, this is so far down the road, but... That's what I like about starting a Seth Collins because I, I I think it'd be better for Oregon State. They'd be better served if you just had a guy for the next three or four years, depending on his growth and, and how big he can get, just see what you got in him. Like, he's a stud athlete. Watching him is so electric. How many times in this game, Angie, did he, did he like, evade the rush and step up and make a guy miss so easily and you kind of, your jaw just drops like, damn, this kid is an athlete. Yeah, oh, completely. He's... I was sitting next to uh, Lindsay Schnell in the press box this week, and and she you know made a good point that you know the last time she saw an a pure athlete maybe that that was that electric at Oregon State was maybe Jordan Poyer, that same kind of swagger to him, um, good athlete. That I mean he had that big huge run too that was called back on a, on a hold penalty too. So um, and what I've seen too is you know earlier in, in the podcast we talk about. I saw him looking to, th- to run first. He was looking to make the play himself mm-hmm. earlier in the season in, in fall camp. I'm seeing more of him actually looking to throw the ball or to get it to other playmakers. Which is a good sign. I mean, It is a good sign. When, it's, a, it's a sign that he's listening to the coaches, and uh, he's, again, growing. You know, when people have the conversation of expectations or what they feel about Seth Collins, and I, I look, I haven't been able to see the thread on Beaver Blitz about this. Maybe you can kind of... Uh, inform listeners of kind of what you're seeing like back and forth and just differing opinions. I ultimately fall here. Is Seth Collins like the chosen one? We have no idea. Like to even give that opinion would almost be asinine because there's no point in it. Like you accomplish nothing by doing it. You just try to be the bold person. I do like what I see and it, it makes you optimistic at this point. And watching the coaches and the way that they've handled him, it feels almost like they've allowed him to open up this playbook and said, you know what, we're going to throw all these different shifts and packages in, and even though you're a true freshman that's played three games up until the fourth game against Stanford, we trust that you can still make it, you can learn, you can understand where your first progression is, your second, maybe even your third if you get there. 
or if the play completely breaks down, you have that athletic ability to extend it and pick up positive yards. I thought watching them play on Saturday against Stanford, watching the packages and and the different formations and the different sets and motions, that kind of sh- that kind of just told me what I think the coaches feel about this kid. Yes, he's made mistakes, not a lot. He makes mistakes. He can't make every throw yet. He's a little raw, but damn, we like what we see, and this is what we're going to do to win the game. We're going to give him everything. Yeah, no, I agree. And how many, I mean, what fun was it to watch the offense that first half, the, the shifts, and, and then Ryan Nall coming in, you know, local Central Catholic player coming in to score that touchdown, and we saw the, the motion that had Stanford completely looking befuddled before Oregon snapped the ball, Oregon State snapped the ball. And then the up-tempo, I mean, it was fun. It was actually fun to watch. Yeah, it was fantastic to watch. Like that's not that's not something Oregon State fan is accustomed to watching for their team. They're used to sitting in research and watching another quarterback do that to them. Yes, like, exactly. It kind of reminded me. And look, the the stat sheet's not going to show this, and the perform the end result isn't going to show this. It reminded me of watching Vernon Adams when he was with Eastern. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Completely. Of just the range and the ability and what he's able to do. Uh, it was a ton of fun. Now, there were a couple plays. There was one play that actually ended up being positive. I think he even, this is when uh, Victor Bolden jumped in and grabbed that ball with put one foot down at the one yard line. Oh, yes, yes, yes. If you rewatch that play, I don't know if people record these games. If you rewatch that play, Collins really screwed that up because when he hiked the ball, I forget who the back was at that time, might have been Storm. Storm was actually open immediately in the flats. No, actually, I think this was the play. I'm sorry, I'm kind of just remembering this. This was the play where he ended up getting Storm, and Storm went down with that injury briefly. Okay, yep. He got caught from behind. In the beginning of that play, Storm rolls out, and he's wide open in the flat, and Collins doesn't even look his way, and then pressure comes, so he does a quick spin around, and he does kind of a a juke, and then he's he's kind of evading some defenders, some pass rushers. It looked great on tape, really exciting, and he ended up hitting Stormwoods for like a huge gain anyway. But like on a play like that, those are the things that Dave Baldwin is going to point to in film sessions. Quarterback coach Kevin McGiven is going to show, and they're going to say, all right, on those plays, you got to make the quick read, and the quick read was Stormbars Woods right there in the flat, hit him. He'll probably still get a big, a big chunk of yards, Maybe not as big as you got with him when you started kind of biting time, but ultimately those are the plays that he needs to improve on. But man, it's still kind of exciting watching him maybe screw up a play or watching a play breakdown to see what he's going to do. Exactly, and that, you know that was one of the big discussions on Blitz was that he was missing wide open guys, and you know that comes with time. I mean, we've seen it even in the, in the pro style system with Mannion or with with uh, Vaz, with you name it. Canfield that takes them a little while mm-hmm. to to be able to go through their progressions. Like we've we've had this conversation for years about you know it, it's as a time thing. And this is a kid who is playing high school football. Now I think he's he's been baptized pretty quickly in big time football with Michigan and Stanford. So um, those aren't easy opponents, and he's had to learn quickly. So I, I hopefully the game will slow down for him, and he is able to pick up on some of those. You know what else is encouraging too for me is. You heard so much about his athleticism. We saw it in practice in spring, in the fall, the spring game, the leap. But you always hear things about athletes and guys, and then they might get to that next level, and it just they're never quite the athlete that you thought they would be compared to some of the other teams. I think at least with Michigan, Stanford, every game that he's played, you do get the sense of, all right, this is a real athlete, athletic kid 
that not only does it translate to this level, but it's a scary part of his game where at where teams are going to have to try to prepare for that with their scout team, but it's not going to be possible for him. Like I'm always worried about hearing all oh, this kid's a great athlete. And then he comes in like Victor Bolden's a good example of this where he is a great athlete. But I was thinking like when I w- when he came in, I was thinking Brandon Cook's level, next level, like great speed. And you don't quite get that from him. Yeah. Seth, yeah. Seth Collins, like he's he's all the hype that, that you've been told athletically watching him play. Exactly. And and I think the confidence should be growing with him in that he, he knows now that he can compete with some of the best teams out there. He's able to, you know, some of the best athletes out there. So that should help his confidence greatly. Want to give a quick shout out real quick in the middle of the podcast to Scott Santana once again at Santana Insurance Agency. Uh, if you got yourself in a bundle with insurance, stop screwing up, moron. But uh, you can also call Scott Santana at 503-393-6771. Scott made it possible for us to give you as many damn podcasts as possible. So shout out to him. Uh, Scott Santana, listener, what is the what is the majority like? If you had to sum up what's going on at BeaverBlitz.com and the conversation of Seth Collins, what where would the majority be with him? Most of them are, are positive. You know, it's just been a few that have been very critical. And this is a bye week, and actually, honestly, bye weeks are usually have been kind of slow. And it's been really, really fun to see the conversations that have been going on, the discussions of. I think Beaver fan is starting to starting to get back in the mix. They're starting to feel some hope again, and, and the discussion is there, um, mostly positive with that. Um, but there's a few that, you know, and, and Brandon, you know, in life, there's always going to be somebody that's a little more glass half empty or, you know, the, the little lights aren't twinkling, Clark. That's mm-hmm. my, you know, they're, they're <laughs> going to point out something that's just not quite the way you, you sell it. So, um, you know, does, does Seth Collins have a, a ton to learn? Yes, but... I think four games in as a true freshman, I think we're seeing glimpses of some pretty exciting football. I got homework to do. I got to feed the hogs. Yes, yes. We could, you, you're with me. We could quote Christmas Vacation. That could oh almost gosh. be its own podcast. It would. <laughs> it's a fantastic film. Well, okay, well then you say there's a couple negatives. Like, Give me one negative that you can remember. From the game? No, on, on, on with the, the Seth Collins oh, conversation. Just missing open receivers and trying maybe to do too much with his legs. I can, but, I mean, I can see that, but is that like, is that taking, like, are, are people taking that away in terms of saying they're not sure if he can be the future because of those things? No, not necessarily. We, we do, we, we welcomed in a new uh, intern as well at Beaver Blitz this week and great kid. He's starting his, his Oregon State career as a student and I, he's played three sports and I've known him forever. And I, I said, you know, you're, you're studying engineering, Jacob. Let's dig into some numbers each week. You know, give me a little article. Pick a stat that really stands out. Mm-hmm. Well, he wrote a, a quick little piece that we put up on Blitz about the 275 yards that Seth Collins had through the air and, and the pass that he made to Jordan Villeman, the, the deep ball that, you know, he said it could remind some Beaver fans of the deep ball thrown by Sean Mannion. Okay, maybe a little bit of an exaggeration, but to be honest, I thought the ball placement was maybe better than a lot of Sean, Sean's passes. But oh, a couple people kind of went off on that. That you know, how dare you compare him to, to uh, you know, the all-time Pac-12 passing leader? Exactly. And, <laughs> you know, granted, nobody's saying that. You know, our Jacob, our intern, did not say you know that he's going to be the next Sean Mannion. But yeah, it was a great pass for for one of the knocks on on Collins all along has been that he doesn't have a great arm, and, and that was a beautiful pass. Yeah, I have. Uh, I've been really impressed with his deep ball. I, I think so far of what I've seen. 
Uh, are there times where he misses slant passes or you know easy out passes? Absolutely there are, and I'm sure he's missing wide open guys. Uh, but in terms of watching the deep ball, I think he throws a pretty one. Yeah, I do too. There's really not much that I would complain about there. So no, it's been it's been good. It's it's been a good bye week for discussion and lots of recruiting talk, and uh, it's been it's been fun. Well, let's talk about that then. I mean, the big news for Oregon State what was it last week was they got the four star kid uh, Jaquari McLaughlin for hoops. Four star kid announced that came his Friday, decision the day after the podcast. Yeah, of course he did. And then uh, Christian Wallace, another four star athlete, uh, announced that he was committing to Oregon State in football. And there's even another one. I think Sherrod Thompson is on the verge of making his decision of where to commit. Maybe maybe he's going to Oregon State. Maybe he's not. Uh, but what have you made thus far of of the two four star pickups in, in two different sports? Oh, it's been it's been great fun. I mean, so last Thursday, Brandon and I do this podcast. I'd actually got kind of a heads up about Jacory, and, and kudos to Brandon. I did fill him in on that um, that commitment that was coming, and, and Rivals was ready. Our, our basketball, our national analyst was ready with that story. But the promise was we could have the story, but we had to give the kid his moment to announce, which we did. We just popped that uh, article up about five seconds after he announced. I but, thought about tweeting out, sources say he's yes, going Yes, yes. After I told you, Brandon, I, I thought, oh, man, can I trust him? Oh, that's cold-blooded. But I knew I could trust you. I wouldn't do that to we you. We get some good stuff. But So I was in studio with you last week. I bust home, and it took me like an hour to get home with traffic. It was horrendous. Yeah. And uh, I had back-to-school night. So those that are on Beaver Blitz and – you guys all know that commitments come at the most inopportune times of ever. They mm-hmm. always do, right? They come Wednesday night. We do a, a chat each week, and we've gotten commitments Wednesday night during chat. We get them, you know, I can be on vacation. It, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So I decide to take one for the team and uh, go to back-to-school night. I'm thinking it's a quiet Thursday. Husband's home with the kids eating Chipotle. I'm running to back-to-school night. And how bad form is this that I have my phone out, because I needed my husband, he started a new job, and I needed his new work phone number for the contact sheet. So it's sitting on my son's desk, front of the class, very front. Next thing I know, it starts buzzing. And it's all these texts about commitment. And I, it, it happens. So I'm trying not to be rude, but I'm trying to text you know, my, our, one of our recruiting writers who lives back east, and he was in bed. So I yeah. text my husband, and I'm like, okay, dude, you're up, because you got to call this kid. And Eric's not as as trained as I am, and yeah, but Eric's so, a stud for fighting along. I mean, he's got the gig. It's like it's not always easy for him. I know that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's got a real job, you know, that pays the bills, and then wife at home is, you know, I mean, not that I don't have a real job. Oh, you're busting your ass too, and I I do. I bust my ass for blitz, but um, yeah. So I made him call, but he's just, it's, you know, when you start calling recruits. You know, when you're first starting, it can take a while, and you're trying to get all these quotes, and you're trying to write this really good story, and, you know, it's not going to win a Pulitzer. So anyway, Eric got the story. I was able to get home, pop it up online. One of uh, my son's fourth-grade teachers, huge Beaver fan, huge, and uh, which is fun because it seemed like all his teachers in the past have been Duck fans. and <laughs> So no, it was not anymore, Angie. Not right now. Not right now. That's a, that's another whole topic about it's time Saturday to take the bumper football. sticker off. Um, but no, it was it was a crazy night, and I mean, just what a, a big pickup for both basketball and and football. I mean, last year Coach Tinkle did some great things recruiting, but you know, two of those were sons of, of coaches. So mm-hmm. I think the question was, can they re- can they reel in 
other top prospects. Yeah, and I, I they're think, showing they can. Yeah, and I think I always kind of had that hesitancy, and and you can say that maybe I am glass half full. I don't like to think of myself that way. I'm pretty optimistic in a lot of areas of my life, but I also try to be realistic and and think about you know instead of just going oh it's it's a given every time. I kind of wonder. Well, yeah, you convinced your son to come play with you. Okay, great. He's a four-star kid. I'm excited. Oh, oh, your assistant coach's kid. He, he's come yeah. playing too. Okay, great. But let, let's let's get another one. Like get one more. And and look, I I've loved what I've seen from Wayne Tinkle. There is no complaints that I have about him as a basketball coach. I think if you watched what he did last year, that was arguably one of the greatest achievements in Oregon State history in terms oh, of even getting that team in that position. Um, and so I, I've bought all in. In fact, I've gone on the air multiple times in Portland on the fan airwaves, and I have I've declared that they're going to the NCAA tournament. I don't care if people think I'm jinxing that, but I'm pretty convinced with this new young talent, and you mix that in with a lot of the veteran guys they have coming back that played exceedingly well. I, I just I think this coaching staff has what it takes. But I, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I wanted to see it from somebody else because getting your son. That's great because if he's a four star, he's a four star, and I know they got Eubanks from uh, from uh, Reynolds, but I wanted to see them go get like another one. Not that it's easy at Oregon State, but it would kind of just been like, all right, there's no worries for me with their recruiting ability. No, and and you think back, I mean, Jacory committed to Craig Robinson as a sophomore, so you know here's a kid that was committed to the past staff, decommits, and he actually committed to to Washington, which is closer to his home in, in Gig Harbor, opened things back up again. And Tinkle was able to sell, resell him on Oregon State under the new staff. Great pickup. And then with Christian Wallace, I mean, he's like the number six athlete in the country. Number six athlete. Jeez. So that's, that's big. Oregon State likes him as a corner, and he loves defense. Now if they can get Sherrod Thompson, the safety, a four-star safety out of the Bay Area, big, mm-hmm. very big. Um, you know, there's some other big-time names that are coming. I mean, I don't know if we talked about this last week. But uh, Mason Ray on the quarterback is bringing up a five-star wide receiver and a, and a four-star running back with him when he comes up for Colorado. Wow. So um, getting an athlete to visit is one of the biggest hurdles yeah. for Oregon State. A lot of kids haven't heard of it or they're not real familiar with it. Mm-hmm. Or they, they take the negative recruiting that other programs will do and, and talk about Oregon State being a small cow college. Yeah. And yeah. it's not till a kid gets up to Oregon State and sees it. You know, I, actually, I just got off the phone before the podcast with Artavis Pierce, who is a running back commit out of Auburndale, Auburndale Florida. Um, he was up for the for the uh, San Jose State game with those guys, with Christian and Sherrod, and uh, I had not been able to reach him. Mm-hmm. And that's usually a bad sign when a commit is not returning my phone calls. So um, I finally just texted him today, and I said, "Hey, look, I just I need to find out how your trip went. Are you even still committed to Oregon State?" Boom. The kid calls me right back. And, uh, you know, he's like, yes, sorry, ma'am. I am. The trip was great. He loved everything about it. And he said, I was surprised. I'm coming from Florida. And he was, the environment is just awesome. You know, you always wonder what these kids from Florida or big cities are thinking. And they love it. They think his exact quote was that it was chill. (laughs) I guess that's a good thing, maybe. He, He sounded super positive about being chill. And Sherrod Thompson's biggest thing was he loved the weather. Really? I don't know. He's from the Bay Area. He got fooled with the weather a little bit (laughs) because that Bay Area is used to the sun, but they're also used to like 30-mile-an-hour wind gusts. We don't. fog. Yeah, exactly. Crazy fog. And we don't quite get that in Oregon, but he wasn't here during the rainy season yet. So, So no, I mean, both both fronts, I think, are just looking very good. Um, Just there's a good 
energy right now at Oregon State. I was going to say, uh, any insight on maybe Sherrod, where he's leaning? My gut tells me it's Oregon State. You know, really? there's other writers out there that, that think not, but, you know, here's a, here's a young man who, you know, Arizona State was high on his list, but they filled up, okay? So he, is, he had trips scheduled for Utah and San Diego State. He's canceled those trips. Nice. And now he's making a decision next yeah. week. Yeah, that's so, a good point. Um, he loved his trip. He, you know, became friends with Joel Robinette and, and Christian Wallace and, and Artavis and some of the guys that were on campus. He had, you know, he told me he had a blast. He loved everything about it. So um, it would surprise me if he's not a beef, but you're dealing with 17-year-old kids too, so nothing surprises me. I'd also like to give a shout out to uh, Lorenzo Romar for being a terrible coach at this point at Washington, losing his lead assistant, who's also his top recruiter for giving us Ja'Cory McLaughlin. I think that helped a ton in hoops. Uh, so shout out to him on the, on the damn podcast. <laughs> Wait, we need to start instead of damn questions. We could have damn shout outs. <laughs> we could do that if people it's are a, down for that. One. I mean, I think we give them pretty, pretty good shout outs when we answer their I, damn you know questions. I, I do have a damn shout out. A shout out to the great football game to Utah. Shout out to Utah oh. for the game they played at Autzen. Holy hell! Like I don't care how much you hate the Ducks, watching that even that if, game was that, that was a dismantling. Even of if epic you proportions, yeah, I mean, even if you didn't care if the Ducks won or lost, you had to ad- admire how incredible a game plan that was. Yeah. Oh, special teams, every aspect of that game plan was marvelous. I couldn't um I couldn't have been happier too. Kyle Whittingham has come on our radio show a couple times. Every time they play Oregon, Oregon State, he's available to our radio station and he will do an interview. Like he is just one wow. of you you don't get that a lot with coaches no, you in, don't. in FBS Power Five conferences. And he is one of them. And he's a classy guy. Like he's really honest. You can pretty we asked him anything. I asked him about last year's loss when Kalen Clay dropped the ball. Like what's that like? Uh, we asked him about if he got in the ring in the octagon against any Pac-12 coach when any Pac-12 coach beat him. <laughs> he said, uh, I don't really know how to answer that, but I would just say we'd have to find out the hard way. Um, <laughs> like he, has, he likes to have fun. He's a real guy, a good guy that you'd want to go get a beer with. I was really pumped for him. Utah's been in the conference. I think this is their fourth fourth, fourth year. year. Yeah. They were eight. They had eight wins their first year, and then back-to-back five-win seasons. They were 9-4 and four last year. I said it on my show going into that game. I thought that was arguably a bigger game for them because of what it means for the program in this conference than it might have been for Oregon. I know Oregon had a lot riding on it with their playoff and all that crap, uh, but I just thought program building wise that was huge for Whittingham. Oh, I completely agree. And and you know some fans have brought up too that you know Coach Anderson and Coach Whittingham are such good friends and there's such ties there with that program and Coach Anderson reminds a lot of people of Whittingham you know very intense very defense minded so I think Beaver fans sitting there thinking gosh if that can be us in you know four or five years yeah it gives you reason but, for hope doesn't it? it I mean it was it was a fun game to watch regardless I the special teams alone was worth the price of admission. Suddenly, though, I'll be realistic. We'll get to this a little later. It's going to be a couple weeks. I'm extremely um, nervous, I think, from an Oregon State perspective of that Halloween game. Oh, I, it, yeah. Utah's going to beat them. Ut- I mean, Utah is maybe the best team in the conference. And they are so pumped for that game. You know, Oregon State took 
Coach Sataki yep. and Coach Tuiaki, and there's yep. such ties with some of the support staff that came over. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have that game circled. That is what they call their blackout game. It's the big one, the night game. I, th- I think they're planning a night game in Salt Lake. It'll be rocking. It could and, be fun, uh, too. We, I mean, both coaching staffs know tendencies of each other. True, yeah. So they'll have some, some ideas. But it'll be I, – I, I just think Whittingham is such a tactician. It's, it's fun to watch what he, he crafts up. And like I said – that special teams play, special teams gets no love. They either do what they're supposed to do or they suck. Honestly, there was some creativity, and it was fun. Ballsy move to have the punter run on the second attempt after the wire blocked the kick. Yeah, isn't that crazy? I loved the punt return idea. We We saw that play last year in the NFL. St. Louis did that to Seattle, and Seattle ended up doing actually the next day after we watched it against Utah. I, uh, we were talking with Kevin Gemmel this week on the show, And uh, we obviously we we're talking a lot about that game just because the sky is falling in Portland right now for most uh, Oregon fan. Yeah. And uh, Gemmel goes, you know, I love Whittingham so much, and I really feel like he might have honestly talked to Urban Meyer at some point this week. And we're like, oh, because you know there is a connection there. They coach together. Yeah. yeah. And he goes because the way they snuffed out a lot of their run plays at Oregon and knew a lot of their quick screen out type stuff. Like you can see that stuff on film, but it's it's another thing to be as ready and prepared for it as Utah was. And so Gimmel had mentioned maybe Whittingham had made a call to Urban Meyer because we know Ohio State absolutely kicked Oregon's ass in that national championship game. It wouldn't surprise him at all, he said, if they had had a conversation about what to expect from the Ducks. Oh, completely. And and my my husband has said it all year too. Oregon's secondary, their pass defense is bad. Oh, it's trash. It is absolutely really right, tra- and and by the way, they're only an eight point favorite against Colorado. I know we had somebody in the in the lodge actually post, take out a second mortgage. <laughs> <laughs> it's time to take out the second mortgage well, and and uh, put up the four hundred one k. I like to think that like that's a gimme game, and I think I went on the I air. I hope so, and but... even said that they should cover. But again, their defense is trash. There's no quarterback. Their offensive line is inconsistent and not good. Like, and it's in Colorado. I mean, I don't. Altitude, it's no joke. I was there last year. Oh, I just had to yeah. hike up the hill. You yeah. know, I mean, those little valley boys are in for in for a treat. All right, uh, we're probably doing a little too yeah. much uh, quack talk for some Beaver fan out there, so yeah. apologies. We just had to revel in what happened Saturday. Uh, let's do some damn questions. Let's do it. Do you right. have any for me? Yeah, I, I, got a, I got a couple here. Okay. Uh, we got a couple on Twitter. By the way, I think we get more on Beaver Blitz than we do on Twitter. Well, come on, Twitter fans. Step up the what game. What the hell, Twitter? All right. The first one is for Stephen C underscore 24. Uh, do Beavs have real chance of signing Nikhil Henry? Okay, that's the five-star receiver out of Chandler. You know, I wouldn't say it's a, a, a chance of signing him necessarily. The visit's huge, but you never know. I mean, look at Brandon Cooks. There's a kid who, you know, it depends on the maturity level of the kid. Brandon loves us, UCLA. He was a commit to UCLA, but then figured out for his development and for his goals, Oregon State was a better place for him to play football. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, you can't tell. It's a, it's a matter of when the kid gets on campus when he, you know, is able to see how he'd fit in the system. And he's a big kid. He's like a 6'3", you know, big-time wide receiver. But, um, yeah, hey, there's a chance. There's, All right. The kids on campus, there's a chance. See, there you go. I, I really can't chime in on these questions, I'll be honest. Like, I, I think a majority of people that ask these questions recruiting-wise 
really just want your opinion. You're the one that talks <laughs> to these kids. You know it. I don't. I've admitted that time and time again. Uh, we got another one from at Coach Morrow. One, uh, will the Beavers sign more players than open roster spots if that means they can sign some top recruits? Yes. Okay, yes. Ding. Yes. There you go. Ding. Quick question. If, if, you know, they will figure out a way to uh, make it work if they are able to get some top, top guys. We call those jelly donuts. Jelly donuts. In, in the world here at Beaver Blitz. A little filling? Jelly, a jelly donut, even if you're full, you always have room for a jelly donut. <laughs> I like that you call them the jelly donuts. Jelly donut recruits. So there, there's another little tidbit for you. Okay. So bearing, uh, this is from B Lifer 82 or B Lifer, B L I F E R 82. Have, there have been varying opinions on O-line play. What's your view? Uh, varying opinions on O-line. My view is <sighs> struggled to start the season. Stanford is not easy. They're going to be very inconsistent all year, I feel. And if anything, injuries are going to deplete them. I'm hoping that doesn't happen. But I'll just say inconsistent, not quite living up to the expectation that I had for this group. Um, Isaac Sayamalo at times has looked a little rusty. I, I still wonder if there's some of that going on with him, of getting his legs back under him, this being his last year at Oregon State in general. Um, but overall, I just say a little too inconsistent for my liking, and I'm not sure that's going to change. So, I mean, overall, disappointing. Yeah, I, I mean, I was expecting a little better performance from the offensive line, but also this can happen from time to time where you think the defensive front or the offensive front is going to be better, and it turns out it's just not quite what it seems. So very inconsistent. But see, I'm going to throw in something different because this, this was an actual discussion, too, on the, on the website. And uh, we're lucky to have a Peter 71 who, who weighs in from time to time, and he has his own candy report blog. And he's a big-time football guy, and he played offensive line in college. So he breaks down. He's my go-to guy when it comes to offensive line. And he said that a lot of the things you're seeing is other players making the wrong read, whether it's a running back running to the wrong side. Really? Or, yeah. So he was actually really, really, he, you know, he said Weber State was not a pretty game. No. But, They've gotten better, and he actually said Stanford was one of their best. If you go back and watch just O-line, they were pushing guys back three, you know, three, four yards. But, you know, especially a couple times there would be a hole, and he, you know, he talked about which side of the butt the running back should have taken, and <laughs> they chose the wrong side of the butt. Here's a, here's a question that maybe he could answer or, or maybe you have an opinion on. Uh, the other thing I've wondered, too, when you're doing this system, you're using offensive linemen that were recruited for a pro style. Yes, What's and, and the, Coach Anderson's talked about that. Yeah, the translate the transition there from traditional pro style, even just straight shot, uh, shotgun uh, drop back formations with a, an immobile Mannion. I wonder how much of that kind of weighs on them too. I guess maybe that's not fair for me to say disappointment because that is an underrated aspect. Is it's kind of like special teams, Brandon? Yeah, it is. You know, they don't get any love unless they suck. I mean, Honestly, that's that's the thing that's that's the old saying in special teams. You never want to know your long snapper's name. Exactly. You just want to know the ball is getting back has there. heard their long snapper's name a few times. Yeah, he made a really boneheaded play against uh, the Cardinal. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we know about the snaps. We, we know about the other one. Yeah. Um, okay, so here was one from Alpha Zeta. Do you see any more commitments in the next week or so? Yes, I, I really do think Sherrod Thompson's a beef. Wow, that was a, an easy one. When was the last time? Um, when was the last time they'd gotten two four stars in, at this point? 
At this point, never that I can recall. A couple uh, the year they got Caleb Smith and Isaac Samalo, that was a two, they were both four stars, but they were both later on. Isaac was early. Isaac was in the summer, but yeah. Caleb was was you know more no, November December type guy. It's unbelievable the impact here's, they're already making. Here's one for you. MOSU says, in your opinion, what position group has been our weakest link thus far? Uh, and then, okay. which has been the strongest? Uh, which has been the weakest, which has been the strongest? Um, can I tie two? Sure. I mean, if I'm going off what i This is I've, our deal. We can do whatever we want. Yeah, you're right. If I base it off <laughs> what I've seen, I'd say safeties have been incredibly disappointing to me. And I will say special teams has sucked. Uh, special teams, I don't... And this is a weird thing, and I almost tweeted this, but I, I get lazy sometimes with Twitter. It it feels like between fire Bruce Reed <laughs> and not having a full-time dedicated special teams coach, Oregon State fan wants something in between that. They do. They, you know... Like, it's maddening that there's not a consistent... Um, voice i guess i should say for special teams and then with with a bruce reed just to him individually it got to a point where all right can you do this can you stop telling kids the fair catch every time even if they're 20 yards away and you know different kickers that they had that were frustrating at times there's somewhere in between there but uh rommel dockery's been putting the ball on the ground a lot lately uh, I get nervous when they punt and their snapper not only with the bad snap, but then the terrible the penalties, boneheaded yeah. play that he had the, this last week. It's just been very inconsistent. I haven't liked it. And then Cyril Nolan Lewis, I really like Cyril Nolan Lewis, and I think he can get his ish together. But there's times where he takes terrible like cuts towards the ball through the air and doesn't help himself. Tackling's been a little inconsistent. And Justin Strong seems to pop people every game or two or every game once or twice, but he also does a lot of arm tackling and guys are able to break off of that. I saw that a couple times against Stanford. So I haven't I wonder been... about him though. I he's had a couple stingers. I just wonder how good his shoulder is. Right yeah, now. maybe he's not healthy, but what I've seen without knowing he's injured or not, I, I'd say those two areas are kind of tied for most disappointing. Most impressive? Um that's a tough one. I'll say I'll say DBs thus far. Okay, safeties are disappointing, but DBs are. So, are you going just cornerbacks? Cornerbacks, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I guess I there. should specify there. CBs. CBs. Yeah. The cornerbacks. So I I have no complaint with your weakest link. I think that I completely agree, and I would go with linebackers as strongest. Hard to argue that. But that's just me. Seth Collins would also be up there for me. I yeah. Think. Yeah. I was nervous about. But we've we've talked a lot about Seth Collins today. It's, we could call it the Seth Collins Show. Hey, yeah, Seth Collins Podcast Edition. Yeah, exactly. Should I we start have naming Seth Collins these? on? We should have got him on air today. Well, here's my problem. Oregon State's new like media policy has been a pain in the ass. Yeah. Uh, I I haven't had anybody on our show. Like I've actually tried on our radio show, and it's been, oh, they're available right at noon. Well, my show starts right at noon. I'm not just going to open my show and say, hey, we have Kyle Pecco <laughs> on right now. It's Radio doesn't usually work that way, so it's kind of been a pain in the ass. I I want to get somebody on our podcast. I'd love to like do in-depth conversation with somebody. Yeah, we'll work on it. This would actually be the week, wouldn't it? I, yeah, but I think a lot of the guys head home or, or get to do other things. Yeah, the week. coaches are recruiting. I know that. I saw coaches their are recruiting. picture on the plane, but... Uh, so, yeah, we, I, I got some connections. We'll see what we can do. We'll, we'll try. We'll try. Yeah. All right. But that's, have... that's what I've got for you. All right. I got one more. 
Okay, one more. One more from at crazy5150. Hashtag damn Cass. Why didn't Nall get more carries or Stanford? He was super pumped and running hard. That's a great question. Scored the touchdown. And why did, why did we see no more tempo? That was actually a question that uh, I wanted to ask during the postgame press conference, but other people kept asking other questions. And... <laughs> Angie, you got to step up. I do. I just need to, like, well, throw ha- it out there. You, but... you, I mean, people might not know this, and this is kind of more media, like, oh, this is what we deal with in the media. Maybe you don't care. But there is a part in, like, press conferences where it, it's all of us kind of huddled around that table, and you've seen it. And it's kind of awkward because, like, Eggers wants to ask the first question or get his in only. And then, like, Gina, I'm sure, is a lot kind of like Lindsay in the sense of, well, I'm with the Oregonian. I should ask the first question. And then Gina's uh, co-worker, Danny, probably wants to ask a question. And then don't forget Grass, yourself. The TV guys always need, like, 10 questions answered so they can cut it up for you for a 20-second clip. Yeah. It's like you kind of have to fight for your right to ask a question among oh, the media. You know this totally this is totally random and this is totally going off topic, but you mentioned something in that little discussion there that made me think of this because I had a discussion with a medium person and we just didn't agree on this. I just want to get your take on this. So, you know, Oregon State is will not talk about injuries. Mm-hmm. Some in the media are mad about that because they feel it's their right to let the readers know what these kids are hurt with. Mm-hmm. My take, and I went on Twitter with this, and I went on Beaver Blitz with this, is that it's none of our damn business. And, and this media person was not happy that I took that stance. And I said, it's none of our business. It's none of your reader's business. There's privacy laws. Mm-hmm. And honestly, nobody needs to know I have high cholesterol or, you know, what's it? You know, it's none of their business. Um, so what's your, what's your take, being media mogul that you are? <laughs> I think uh, injury-wise, I don't, I don't care. Um, I, I also don't understand the secrecy advantage. Like I always thought Riley was really intelligent. And when he talked about that and that was something that he'd bring up. And I remember I was like, why do you think you, you release injury information so willingly opposed to like so many schools? Cause that's, that's more the norm is not yeah, doing more it. The norm is- and I remember he looked at me and he kind of chuckled in his Mike Riley voice and he goes, Brandon, if I tell you that his his ankle sprained, is that gonna give the other team an advantage? No, <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna go out there even if I don't say it, and you're clearly gonna tell that his ankle's messed up. I mean, and he, he also mentioned like game film, like sometimes with these injuries because they have such good training staffs, you can watch the tape and the, oh, and yeah, the you trainer can, see when can go the guy's cramping or yeah. yeah, the trainer can go, hey, look, that injury, I don't know exactly what it is, lower right leg, boom, yeah. now they know the injury, and if he doesn't play, then great. They'll prepare for him either way. I don't really care, though. Like, me personally, I don't really care to hear it. If they tell me, great. If they don't, that doesn't bother me. The only thing that bothers me is uh, a little bit of the access of practice. It'd be nice. And I don't even go to practices pretty much at all during the season because of my work schedule. But for for people that go down there, yourself, when you go down there, we know the Oregonians there, other newspapers are there. When those people go... I think it'd be nice if they could be sit in on the last 45 minutes of practice instead of the last 10. I mean, to get, not to reveal plays or anything like that, because that's not allowed anyway, but to just have a feel of, man, they looked really good today. They rebounded. You don't have to say, oh, they did a trick play and they ran yeah, a, yeah. You, you don't have to do that. But I, I'd like that. That's I mean, a feel, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, does, it, doesn't, it doesn't piss me off by any means that they close practices. It just, there was something to... Yeah, you know, building the 
and this almost might make me sound snobbish. I don't mean to, but like there was something to building relationships with the coaching staff and players around the program when you can kind of sit in and hang around and a coach would come up to you during a drill. Hey, how you doing? Stuff like that. Like stuff like that goes a long, long yeah, way. Yeah, it makes you human. You know, I mean, Coach Ryan yeah. come out and, you know, how, ask about the kids or, you know, they, it, it makes you a little more, you know, yeah, I agree. Yeah, so I don't, I don't really care about injuries. I don't. Uh, if you do, great. If you don't, I don't. It doesn't bother me. Practice would be the only thing, but even that, again, not a lot really bugs me. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm very opinionated on a radio show, but that's. <laughs> There's more. I mean, that's what you know. I try to get across though is you know, there's such privacy laws now. I mean, my kid could be in college, I could be paying the bill, and if he doesn't sign a waiver, I don't get to see the uh, transcript. Exactly. Or, I mean, we have parents on the, in the lodge that said their kid was injured, football player. They called to talk to the trainers or the, the doctor, Yeah. and they can't talk to them until they've signed, the kid has signed a release. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, there's, there's a lot of legality issues, I guess, that, mm-hmm. that come into play, too. But yeah. anyway, no, I just, you, you made a comment, so it made me think of something, and I just wanted to hear your take on it. I wish you'd tell us who you were talking about, but I understand if you don't. Yeah, we'll just leave it. Leave it at that. <laughs> I think I have an idea in my head, and it sucks that I can't tell. Like you, you probably do. I'm you pretty know exactly. Yeah, I'm who pretty it is. confident who it is. Um, but no, this has been a good podcast. It has been a good podcast. We appreciate all the damn questions, by the way. Um, appreciate it every week. All the interaction that we've gotten. I, I feel bad for listeners out there. We were we killed it like two weeks ago. I, I think I mentioned the number was like a thousand and I want to say a hundred something or maybe eighty seven ton of listeners. I feel bad because we've been very inconsistent with a landing page. We have created one. You're at it right now. Uh, SoundCloud.com backslash damn dash podcast. And again, we are out to iTunes. I still haven't gotten an email confirmation. It's really kind of pissing me off because I'm seeing people in the media or the quote unquote media that don't really work for any entity and somehow their podcast is on iTunes right away. (laughs) And so it really, no, honestly, it really pisses me off because I'm an Apple iPhone owner. Like I have a, an I, a, a MacBook Pro. I got an iPhone 6 right here in my hand. I understand how like much better iTunes can be for most people. SoundCloud isn't the most popular landing spot for audio, um, but we, we got it paid for by, by Scott Santana at Santana Insurance Agency in Kaiser, Oregon. So we, I like SoundCloud, but I also understand how important iTunes can be to people. So I'm, I'm trying. I really am trying to get iTunes. There's really nothing I can do at this point other than just tell you when it's available because I got confirmation in my email. Awesome. Well. Sucks. We're Sucks. here. We're on SoundCloud now, so we won't be jumping around. We have our own damn podcast landing spot. Yes. There won't, it won't be inconsistent. Real quick. And if, if, if any of you guys have a business, this is my shameless plug, and, and you want to uh, get some shout-outs like Santana did with his insurance company, yep. shoot Brandon or I a, a tweet, a text, an email, whatever. Absolutely. There's We'd no, love to, uh, yep. to you know, have some sponsors. Yeah, there's no shame at all. Real quick, I want to get your, your quick opinion on this because we're almost at an hour on this thing uh, before we wrap. I got absolutely eviscerated. Uh, we're recording this on a Thursday. It's like 5.30 right now. I We did a segment today on my radio show, and we were talking about the length of college football games, and Wall Street Journal did a great article where they said it's at three and a half to four hours now, and like that's just absolutely ridiculous how long that is. Uh-huh. I am curious 
some Beaver fans kind of went at me today because I think they've been pissed that I've talked about attendance issues. Um, you've probably gotten this a lot on BeaverBlitz.com, but like fan who wants to socially, social media wise, go not go at you, but like tweet you or post something, a message somewhere and complain about the lack of facilities or funding or coaching candidates or the AD or the direction of the program. I get the frustration with fans there. I do. But, and again, this is the small vocal minority that usually speaks out. It's not a representative of the norm. But for those people, I have this to say. Shut the hell up. There was (laughs) maybe 29,000 people at that game against Stanford. If that's because it was Friday at 7, so be it. I get it. I'm a parent. And I didn't go to that game myself, but I also cover sports for a living. But my thing is, if you're going to be the one to complain to somebody like myself or Angie, and then you don't go when things are turned around, facilities are getting improved, you got a coach that left a Big Ten title, a Big Ten title team essentially. Um, Mike Riley's gone. The AD you maybe didn't like in Bobby D, even if I differ with that opinion, is gone. And you got a great guy in Stansberry. Like everything around you appears to be better. They have, they have new concession, you know, a, yeah, new, and, a new company running. I mean, uh, that's and people I've seen. still I've complain. Seen so many people complain about, oh, you know, Truex wasn't open for the longest time. Now that's open for the public. The the uh, practice fields are open. The field after the game is open to go run around with your kids. New concessions, different, you know, different food ideas, different, you know, ways of interacting. And, you know, then you talk about people bitch about the music or no fireworks. They've done it all. They've been changing things up. And if you're still complaining, it gets old. Yeah, my my whole point is you want to complain, then fine. <laughs> Be that person. 29,000 people showed up to the opening conference game. Yeah. Like, yeah. at some point, people like that that don't go to games, you need to start looking in the mirror. This is not directed at diehard fan that goes when they can afford it and – they don't complain all the time. Some people are always going to complain, like, oh, a team sucked tonight. What's going on with the coaching moves? But, like, people that constantly want, oh, it's got to be better. It's got to be better. It, this has to change. This guy's got to get fired. Those people are the yeah, people. Yeah, and, that and I'm I, I get about. it. You know, the, the late nights, those seven o'clock kicks on a, on a Saturday night are tough when the majority of your fan base lives in, in Portland. Yeah, it's brutal. It's brutal. But, you know, make it to a game or two. We had somebody uh, text in today and said, hey, I, uh, was at the game against Stanford, and it was 10 p.m., and there were 13 minutes in the fourth quarter. Yeah. I live in Vancouver. I was like, yeah, I would have left, too. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it, it's no joke, but, uh, yeah, it's just the fan support needs to be there. Yeah, you need to get the attendance numbers up a little bit. And, look, if you're going to the games, great. I think that's fantastic. This is just directed at certain, the small vocal minority. Um, Angie, anything else to plug for you? No, I think, uh, you know, I'm ready for a, a bye week, and let's go. Next week will be fun. Indeed it will. Oregon State takes on Arizona, who's taking on Stanford this weekend, so you got to feel good about their chances after playing a physical team like Stanford. Uh, this is uh, it's the bye week for Oregon State. They fell to Stanford 2-2, two and two, though. Same record as those guys down south, so feel good where Oregon yes. State is right now. And, and you know what? Now they get to come back, and they get a week to, to rest up, practice up, and they have some winnable games in the in the pipe with Arizona and Washington State and Colorado. Catch all Angie's work, beaverblitz.com. If you want to tune in on my radio show on 1080 The Fan, you can with the TuneIn radio app and the 1080 The Fan mobile app or 1080 AM if you're in Portland. 
uh, Dirt and Sprague, noon to 3. We appreciate all the questions this week, and you guys have a great bye week, and we'll be back next week to preview Oregon State versus Arizona. Have a great night.